Good morning. It's uh, good to be together. As uh, Ken said, we long for the day that we can again meet in this amazing facility as a church. But in the meantime, we will continue to do the best we can virtually as we exercise some patience. And boy, has COVID-19 taught us patience. And so while we long for that day, we uh, welcome you this morning as we gather in our homes. I was just thinking this week that uh, it's one of the hardest things to do is to preach at a camera. But there is this little advantage that uh, if your audience fall asleep, at least you don't know about it. Uh, normally when we preach and we see some heads dropping in the first few minutes, it's the most demoralizing thing. But my prayer for this morning is that uh, we will come alive in God's Word, which we find in the second book of Corinthians, chapter 5. Uh, Paul, of course, planted this church, but they gave him a runaround. The relationship between Paul and the church in Corinth was challenging, to say the least. But, on the flip side of that, we, were, we are the beneficiaries of some of Paul's best writing, and it will help to inspire us this morning. So Father, as we come together and we open your word, we th we're grateful that you go before us. We're thankful, Lord, that across the world this message of Jesus is gaining momentum, that lives are being changed. And so this morning, even in, in our little outpost here in Zug, as we gather, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to put all distractions aside. We bring to you all the things this week that captured our hearts and disturbed our minds. And we ask, Holy Spirit, won't you help us to put them aside as we come to worship you and as we come to open your word this morning. We pray that you'll speak to us. We pray that you will encourage us. We pray that you'll challenge us. But mostly, God, we pray that you will meet with us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to read uh, the second letter of Corinthians, chapter 5. And uh, let's pick it up from, from verse 11. It says, verse 11, it says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men and women... What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. 
we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to, the, to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an incredible passage. And we can go in so many directions with it this morning. But I want us to double click for a moment on the first half of verse 20. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I want us this morning to consider what the life of an ambassador for Christ looks like. What would, from this passage, what are some of the key characteristics that we can draw out about the life of an ambassador? And the first thing I want us to see is in the first four or five verses that we read is an ambassador's motivation. Why would we do this? Why would we want to share our faith? Why would we want to be an ambassador for Christ? Well, I sincerely hope it's not because the church expects that of us, or perhaps that we want to make a favorable impression on the leadership or on the pastor. I hope we can aim a little bit higher than that, because Paul, in these opening verses, gives us three compelling reasons why you and I should be ambassadors for Christ. He says, fear, love, and conviction marks the life of an ambassador. That is our motivation. And he says, it all starts with fear. The fear of God. Fear of God meaning a sense of awe and wonder and worship and devotion. A couple of months ago, I preached on the subject of awe and looking at how the nation of Israel set themselves up for major disaster because they all was diminishing. It was shrinking. At the time I neglected to point you to a wonderful book on the subject by Paul Tripp. It's simply called Awe. I'd love you to read that if you're in a place where you feel, man, my awe, my wonder, my reverence, my devotion for God is shrinking. And so this fear, this holy fear is what motivates us while fully understanding what is at stake. There will be a day that the world will be judged. But not only do we understand that judgment day is looming, we also know that most of our culture don't even think about this, never mind believe it. And so we want to persuade them with our words, not bludgeon them, not out-argue them, not debate harder than them, not shout louder, not manipulate. No. Paul says we persuade them with our words, with the truth. 
And Paul wrote this at a time when it was seen as hugely arrogant to say that something that you can't see, something that's invisible, to call it the truth, it was frowned upon. But Paul says, but Paul says, hang on, Corinthian church, you know me. I planted this church. You know my motivation. You know my track record for evangelism. You should just be a little bit proud of me. Furthermore, Paul anticipates that some people will think that we have gone crazy, that he has gone out of his mind a little bit. And my folks, when we, when we act with strong convictions, people will think of us. There will be times that people think that, that we are a little bit crazy. But Paul says, I'm not controlled by some mental illness here in verse 14. He says, I am controlled by the love of Christ. It is the love of Christ that compels Paul. It is the love of Christ that compels us. What a beautiful thought. We are controlled by the love of Christ. We are like star-struck lovers. Come to think of it, also acting a little crazy from time to time. When we live to tell the truth, we may look a little crazy at times. I remember uh, a while back when we were still living in Cape Town and I was sitting with, uh, with Elise and my wife and we were just thinking about the reality that so many of my colleagues, people that we got to know and love, and, and we just thought that it is a bridge too far to ever get them to come to church and surely this is not what the people of the culture of the day wants to do any longer and we were grappling with how do we somehow get this message of reconciliation to our friends and so we came up with this crazy idea which at the time seemed really crazy but we thought what if we get some people together and we asked about 10 people to pitch up at our house for a dinner and we shared some of our best food and wine and and we told them that we would love them to come and meet with us on a regular basis where we somehow unpack some of this stuff. And we were thinking, man, they will think we're mad. They will never come. But they came. And over the next few weeks, we unpacked all their big ticket items, creation, fall, our sinfulness, who is Jesus, the cross. And, and we looked at just the reality of suffering and pain in our world and a little crazy thought. But somehow when we act with our convictions, we are going to look crazy to our world. But there's a third conviction here. In verse 14, Paul says, We have come to this conclusion that all who repent will come to Jesus. That Jesus came to die for us. Paul is not saying, we hope this will be the case, we wish that will be the case. He says, this is the conviction, this is burning in our hearts, that the message of reconciliation, man can be reconciled to God because what Jesus did on the cross, and Jesus did for the sake of the lost, and therefore in verse 15, my friends, we no longer live for ourselves, says Paul. Because Jesus came to die for the lost, we cannot live for ourselves anymore. We cannot hide ourselves away in, in our little corner and make it all about me, myself and I. Paul says, no, we have to step out, out of our small little world and we have to persuade others. We don't hide. We committed. We motivated. We courageous 
even a little crazy at times. But we want to bring this message to a world that is lost. And so the fear of God, the love of Christ, and the conviction of truth should motivate you and I to share our faith. A second thing I want to draw from this passage, if we look at the life of an ambassador, is an, is an ambassador's view of people. How does a, a, an ambassador that is motivated correctly sees people correctly? And we see in verse 16, Paul writes, he says, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. My friends, our human tendency, our, our default setting is to look at people through a human point of view. And so we like, we don't like. We don't like so-and-so, we like so-and-so. But we have to be reminded that we all carry the mark of the divine. We are all created in the image of God. There is value and worth in every human being. And so ambassadors will check this tendency to hate those that they don't like. They will also check this tendency to glorify, to worship people that they like, because we understand that we are all sinful and we are all living in a fallen world. But much more than that, an ambassador will also put on his corrective lenses. Verse 17, Paul says, that we understand what, what divinely created enemies of God can become new creations. You see, when we look at people from a worldly point of view, it is so easy for us to write people off. You know, so-and-so are too hard-hearted, or too rebellious, or too sinful, or too far away from God. So-and-so will never come to faith. But Paul says, when we put on our corrective lenses, and we no longer look at people from a worldly point of view, things will change. In May 1997, ten years into our marriage, Elise put her corrective lenses on. And she began to see in me a new creation in Christ. Although at the time I was far from God, cold-hearted, too sinful, too rebellious, I ticked all those boxes and she had the courage and, the, and looking a little bit stupid at times to say, come on, come to church. And one morning, I decided to take her up an offering. And on that day in May 1997, I heard a message preached the gospel for the first time. I'll, I'll never forget it. The title was Evidence That Demanded a Verdict. And I knew that I could no longer just drift in this ocean. And I began to see the way that God see me potential for a new creation. And six weeks later, I joined Christ's family. I was too cold-hearted. I was too rebellious. I was too sinful. Till somebody else put on the way, the lenses, the way that God saw me. 
and everything changed. My friends, one of the greatest joys of our life is to see those that we love and got, get to know and, and we come alongside them and we see them get to know Christ and grow in Him. There is nothing better. And so, ambassadors for Christ sees people in the right way, not in a worldly way. But we also see that ambassador have a different view of the world. In verse 19, Paul saying that God is reconciling the world. This is a global message. And it's a message that is gaining traction all the time. This is never meant to be a message for some little sect somewhere locked away. From the day that Jesus set the church in motion, it was to take this message to all corners of the world. And that is exactly what is happening. There are no barriers to the message of Christ. And I want us to understand that while we as a church look across the globe and we, we send money and resources and things to other nations and we want, to, we want to do everything we can to see the gospel flourish in other parts of the world. I want us to see that God is doing a magnificent thing right here in our midst in Zouk 2021. And He is bringing the nations to us. I'm reminded of that every morning when I sit on the bus and I drive into Zouk and there's a and I'm greeted by a big banner that says, Welcome to Zouk, where 37 nationalities are represented. Folks, do you know what this means? At the moment, Elise and I are in a, a German class, and, and uh, in our little class of nine, there are people from Kosovo, from Sport, Portugal, from Spain, from all across the nations. And we've seen it in this church, where people from other nations come, and they get to know Jesus. And they go back and they take that gospel message with them to all ends of the earth. If your vision is just for a small little gospel message, I want you to ask God to break you out of that. The gospel is a global message. That is how an ambassador views the world. That God is on a mission to save the planet. Fourthly, I want us to see how an ambassador view his role. Paul does not only make a case for us to, to be motivated correctly and to see people correctly and to see the world correctly. He wants us to see our role correctly. And he chooses a careful and a very interesting word. In verse 20 he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now think about it. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador is a representative of. An ambassador is somebody who delivers a message. And so when you sit down with somebody having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and you are having a spiritual conversation, you need to understand that in that moment, you are a representative of the kingdom of God. It's so sad that so few of us believe this mind-blowing truth. And with this ambassadorship, my friends, come some responsibilities. First and foremost, we have to get the message right, right? We have to understand the gospel. In business, we talk about an elevate the pitch. It just simply means that in the time that you are in a lift, maybe two or three minutes with somebody, you'll be able to 
articulate in a clear way the value proposition of their business. Well, I hope we can all do that when it comes to the gospel, that it's so firmly fixed in our minds, and I'll, I'll come back to this point in a little while. Secondly, we know that ambassadors are not at liberty to change this message. My friends, we do not have to spruce up the gospel. We don't have to niceify it. We only need to deliver it. And perhaps that is our greatest challenge, that, that we have become so fearful of offending that we end up doing nothing at all. But the message, the, the gospel message, is something that needs to be delivered. And so we need to slay our fears and play for the coach and not for the crowd. And at this point, Paul calls out this message. He says, he says, Corinthian church, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I find this so fascinating. Paul is writing a message to Christians here. They have a relationship with God. They are saved. Why would he call on them to be, to be reconciled again for all their problems and all their challenges and all their sin? They were followers of Christ. And Paul says, we implore you, we beg you, be reconciled to God. What is he on about? You see, it's because Paul understood that the gospel is about all of our life. It's not just the means of getting saved. That the gospel will, will change everything that we do and say and become and that it would change us from the inside out. It's not just about getting people into heaven. It's about getting heaven into people. I'm quoting Dallas Willard. And so... What does an ambassador's work look like when we focus on this gospel work? Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul takes us behind the scenes and he gives us a glimpse of what happened on the cross and how God purchase for you and I forgiveness and righteousness. It is a righteousness, my friends, that come from outside of us. It is given, not earned, that Jesus never sinned, yet He became sin. What Paul is saying is that God in that moment took the sins of the world and dumped it on Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 5 to 7 says, But He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him and by, whose, and by His wounds we are, healed. we are healed. My friends, this is in a story of amazing grace extended to fools like you, know, you and I. Incredible mercy granted to rebels that Jesus was willing to come and live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we deserved so that we can get His Father's acceptance. If you are a follower of Christ this morning, I want you to know that there's nothing that you can ever, ever do to gain more of God's acceptance. It's a done deal. There's also nothing that you can do to ever make Him reject you again. And in Christ's mo moment of absolute horror, 
you and I were given eternal hope. The story of the Bible, the story of the Scriptures is a hope-infused story that we were not left by ourselves. God takes us, He justifies us, He cleanses us, He, he, he transforms us, He empowers us, He infuses us with hope. He makes us His people. We could never have done this for ourselves. If we could, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus would have been in vain. And the most precious thing for you and I to have our relationship with our Creator restored was given, not earned. And so we celebrate and we sing and we have hope. This was never a an interruption of God's plan. The cross was always the essential way of saving humankind. It's the most amazing turnaround ever. You could never have predicted it. The most unexpected story of hope for every sinner. Jesus did the maths. Moments of suffering versus eternity of acceptance. My friends, how precious is this gospel message to you this morning. I think Paul landed that piece of scripture with this reminder of what the gospel is because he really wants us to get this. If you and I, if our lives are not completely sold out to this gospel message, then sharing our faith and being an ambassador for Christ would always be a challenge. It will always be difficult to lay down our lives. But when we grasp the preciousness of the message of reconciliation. Everything changes for us and everything should change for those around us. And so I want to deal with a couple of common excuses that we come across from time to time that I think will be helpful for us to revisit. The one is, but Christo, it sounds good, but I don't have what it takes. My friends, yes you do. You have the Spirit of God in you. And that gives you more ministry potential than John the Baptist, the greatest prophet to ever lived. The Spirit has come upon you to do greater things. This is not about your ability, but about your availability. You have what it takes. Effectiveness in carrying this message does not come from an outgoing personality. It comes from the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and speaking through our mouths. Or how about this one? Evangelism is not my spiritual gift. Yes, it's true. There are people who have the gift of evangelism. It's an extraordinary effectiveness that God has given them. But folks, let's not for a moment confuse an a effectiveness given to some with an assignment given to all. And just like people have the gift of generosity or service or faith, it's exactly the same. All of us are called on to be generous and faithful and serving. And, and evangelism is exactly the same. It is not for a few selected people. Acts 2.17 says, He empowers all to testify this morning. I want you to know that if you are a follower of Christ, you have the Spirit of God in you which empowers you to testify to God's goodness. You don't have to be a superhero of the faith. God has given this to you. And to me. Or how about this one? I witness with my life, and, and the sentiment behind this 
is that if I can live a generous gospel-filled life to those around me, then it somehow excuse me from having to proclaim this message. But that is exactly the problem, my friends. The gospel is in its essence an announcement. It is an announcement about what Jesus has done for us to be reconciled. It's not about a presentation about what a good person you've become. Of course, a good gospel-saturated lifestyle will help, but it can never replace the proclamation, the message that we have to carry. And then one that I often hear is, I don't have time. Christo, are you dumping another entry into my diary? Are you putting more stuff on me to do? I'm trying to declutter. And I, my simple answer to you is, the answer is no. I want you to take your cue from Jesus this morning. Go and read the Gospels again. Go and see how he went about his life. Proclaiming the gospel was never an add-on, was never an entry into his diary as he went about his life. All of it, most of it, outside church, Jesus was encountering people time and time again. And in all of those ways, pe ways people came to know him. Why? Because he took the time out to spend time with them. Whether it's calling somebody out of a tree or meeting somebody at a well, Jesus would engage and that's what we have to do. Evangelism is never meant to be this extra add-on. It's doing what we're doing. It's going about our lives. But so conscious that God has placed us among people who has not encountered Him yet. Who has not said yes to the message of reconciliation. And then perhaps this excuse you may have experienced or even heard of is that talking to people about Jesus makes me feel weird. Well, of course it does. But my friends, isn't a little bit of awkwardness, a little bit of weirdness, is this not worth it for us who needs to deliver a, a, a life or death message? Is it not okay to feel a little bit weird or awkward at times for the sake of those that God wants do you reach through us? I think it is. So, perhaps I can land us just from a purely practical view, just to give us some, call it tips if you want, in terms of how do we do this, friends? It's Souk, it's March 2021. Man, we want to see our city come alive for Christ. We want to see the nations come alive for Christ. Tim Keller, New York pastor who planted a church right in the center of Manhattan, shared some, shared some of these and I've added some of my own stuff, but let me run through them quickly. He says, the first thing is, let people know around you that you are a follower of Christ. This is such a simple thing that you and I can do all the time. He used to love Monday mornings around the water cooler. Christo, how was your weekend? I had a great weekend. I heard the most amazing talk on marriage yesterday. Huh? Where did that happen? No, at a church. A church? Tell me more. 
It's the most natural overflow of the way that we go about life. There's nothing forced in it. There's nothing weird in it. We're just sharing our lives with those around us. But let people know that you are a follower of Christ in the most natural way. And then he says, let's ask friends about their faith and listen. We don't always have to be on the back foot. We don't always have to be on the defensive. I love spending time with people who are far from Christ and ask them what they believe and let them unpack. And I don't try and correct them. I don't try and outwit them. I just listen to them. Let them justify. Let them struggle with questions about the meaning of life. But I'll pray for them even if they don't know it. Then there's this thing about sharing your life with other people and that includes your problems. Listen, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a work in progress. You have struggles. You struggle with sexuality, with money, with power, just like the next guy. We are all in the same boat. We need to drop our guard a little bit if we want to take this message across to our we don't always have to look like our lives are perfect. And so when we from a perspective of being reconciled to God, followers of Christ, sit with others, we unpack the stuff that we have to deal with, my friends. It helps those that we talk to, to come to realize what faith is really about. You may want to give them a book to read. There's so much good reading available. You may want to share your story. We have to earn our right to tell our stories. That means where you live, where you work. Get to know people. Get them in your home. COVID-19 is coming to an end. Get people into your homes again. Build friendships. We're doing that in a wonderful way in the street that we live. Getting people into our home. They know that we are followers of Christ. The time will come that the breach is strong enough that I can carry the message across it. At the moment, we're building the bridge. And we'll be able to tell people of the amazing things that God has done in our lives. Share your story. Know your story. Live your story. And then we must be open to answer objections and questions as good as we can. And we don't have to know it all. I have no problem telling people, I'll check it out and come back to you. But we really engage. We really listen. And then who knows? Maybe the time will come that you can invite them to church. Or maybe the time will come that you can invite them to a course like, like Alpha. But our problem is that we don't want to do the hard yards of sharing our faith, of building the breaches, of getting to know people, of gently drift-feeding our story, so that when it comes to the big moments, inviting people to church is a big moment. But we haven't done the work to get there. We want to aim for the, we want to go for gold without doing the preparation. And so can I, like, like Paul, implore you this morning, 
and say start somewhere. And the place to start, my friends, is for our lives and our hearts to be freshly saturated with the message of reconciliation. If God is not blowing your mind away about what He's done on the cross, how on earth are you ever going to share that with somebody else? It's going to be lame. And so Paul says to this church, I implore you, I beg you, let this message of the gospel ravish your heart afresh. Lift church. Let the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, of what He's done on the cross, given, not earned, for sure. Let that message ravish your heart afresh. And then in the natural overflow, where you live, where you work, where you play, let's begin to from time to time be a little bit foolish. Let's put on our corrective lenses and begin to see people not as hard and rebellious and far from God as we may think they are. You know what I've discovered in all my years of ministry and doing this stuff? Everybody grapples with this question. Whether people show it or not. And God has got us on His team as ambassadors to deliver this. Isn't it an amazing thought? That even though our faith may be fledging from time to time and we may struggle from time to time, we're still a progress, a work in progress. And God's saying to us this morning, you are my team. Lift church, you are my team for this time in Zouk. What an amazing privilege and opportunity. Let's take up our role of ambassadors. Let's be motivated. Let's look at people correctly. Let's look at the world correctly. Let's, let's play out this role of delivering this message, this life-saving message to those around us as we become more and more in love with Christ. Church, what a beautiful prospect. Let me pray. God, in light of what you've done and what you've done for us, how can we not leap with joy this morning? How can we not be freshly stirred that this message, this ancient message, the cross, God, this was your way. The only way to reconcile man to God was through the cross. Oh God, we love the cross. We love the message of the cross. Jesus, that you were prepared to, to be completely broken for us, for our acceptance. God, we could never, ever have come up with a plan like this. And we thank you for that message. And we thank you that we can be new creations. I thank you, God, that I became a new creation. And this morning we pray, Lord, and we ask, God, move. Move among your churches. Move among your people.
We, we long for revelation. We long for renewal. We long to see this message drop deeper and deeper into the hearts and minds of all people. God, we pray for, for us as a church to start there and, and we pray that you will empower us with your Holy Spirit. You remind us that we can do all things in you. And when we are weak and when we feel a little awkward and when we look a little silly, God, be with us. Give us the words and help us, Lord, to take this role that you've called us to, to take it seriously. We pray for that, Lord. We pray for our friends, Lord. Those who have not yet even heard the message of reconciliation. And we pray that you'll use us somehow, even if we can't see it with natural eyes. We pray, give us the lenses that we need to see people correctly so that many more can get to know you. I pray even this morning, Lord, some people may have been invited to this or may by chance have ended up on this live stream. And some of what I said through my clumsiness may have really hit home with you this morning. And if that's you and you say, I don't have to wait a month or Whatever, I want to commit my life to Jesus today. And I want you to know that that's possible. This message of reconciliation makes that a potential reality in your life this morning. And all you have to do is to come to Jesus. You don't need religious language. You don't even have to know the Bible. You just need to come to Jesus and offer your life and ask Him to take over. And you too can become a new creation. It's a simple prayer, but a heartfelt prayer. And so, as we pray, we pray for you to make that prayer, to say that prayer, to live that prayer, and to be transformed. And so, Father, as we as we close this time together and as we sing this next song, we, we pray, continue to do a deep work in us. In Jesus' name.